Nobody gets in their car, goes on a vacation with no idea where they're going. Nobody. And the reality is, and we talked about this last week a little bit, we as a church, and churches do this all the time, they run around and they just chase after good ideas, or they look at the church down the road and go, oh, that's a good idea, let's go do that. Um, I knew a church that had a new vision every year. They put a new banner every year and it said, Vision 1987, Vision 1988, Vision 1989, you know, whatever the year was. That's not how this works. God has a consistent plan and the plan takes time. How long did Moses wander with the people? Yeah, that was vision, vision of a lifetime right there. It took a while. And we know that Joseph was over 20 years. So vision takes time. But unfortunately, again, I'm going to say what I've said before. We live kind of in that McDonald's society where, hey, can I get um, three visions, two buildings, and a, and a popcorn stand? All you know, Like we just want an instant plan. And it takes some conversation. It takes digging. It takes conversation that involves sometimes tough decisions amongst teams even. You may have to say, wait, whoa, we're going the wrong way. We got to make a change. That happens sometimes. And so we're going to have those, those conversations. And you may not have to change. You might be going right where you're supposed to. But we're not going to have that conversation now because I'm doing something different this morning. My message title is as follows. And I'm sorry I didn't wear a Steelers thing today, uh, but, you know, mine shrunk. I'm going with that story. My wife may say something different. She might say that I bulked up a little bit. I don't know. My title is, Do I Really Matter? How many of you ever asked that question about yourself? Don't, don't lie. Do I really matter? In the grand scheme of things, do I really matter? Come on. I think 100% of us have. How do I know that? Because that's a question the devil loves to whisper in our ears. Does it with everybody. Can we really make a difference in this world? The needs are so big, and I am just one person. I mean, that's just pure logic, right? Makes sense. Can I really make a difference? Well, I got an illustration for you. One day, a man was walking along the beach when he noticed a boy picking up, picking something up and gently throwing it into the ocean. Approaching the boy, he asked, what are you doing? And the youth replied, throwing starfish back into the ocean. The surf is up and the tide is going out. If I don't throw it back, they'll die. Son, the man said, don't you realize there are miles and miles of beach and hundreds of starfish? You can't make a difference. There's, there's that voice, right? After listening politely, the boy bent down, picked up a starfish, threw it back into the surf, then smiling at the man, I love this part, he said, I made a difference for that one. My and your hands, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. And I apologize, but I will be drinking a lot of water today. My throat is losing my voice, I think. Okay, there we go. I'm good for about one line. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, that's exciting news on a Sunday morning, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. 
seems pretty clear, right wherever our hand finds to do, do it with all of our might. So as we are walking and living in this world, whatever it is we're doing with our hands, don't do it half-heartedly, do it with all of your might. Because there's gonna come a time when you won't be able to do that. How many of you know there's a beginning and an end point? There is a beginning and an end point in our lives, and God determines what that is. Why? Our time in this world is limited, and we have to give it all we have. There is an undertone in this verse. It's not really an undertone. It's an in-your-face tone, but here it is. In the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. In other words, what he's saying is, it's not like here. It's over. Your chance to do things here is done. You can't, there's no do-over. You know those the people who believe in reincarnation? It's because they're thinking, they're hoping, they're believing that they're going to get a do-over. There's no do-overs. You're not getting a do-over. You're not going to come back as your dog or your favorite cat. I mean, could you imagine? That'd be weird. Wait a second, how did I come back as a cat? What am I doing? You know? I don't know. The things I think of sometimes. With that perspective in mind, we need to make this time count even more, knowing that our time is limited to a number of days that we don't know. Not one person in this room knows how many days God has decided you will live or walk this earth. And if you begin to, how many of you ever started, let's, let's play a game. How many of you ever started to think about how long you might live? Like you start to think about that question. Let's be honest. There's no trick here. I'm just asking a question. You all have, don't lie. All right? And as you think about it, as you think about it, it, your mind starts to hurt because you're like in your head, the possibilities just start to expand out like this like in your head's going, oh, I can't think about this anymore. Right? You know, I, I used to really think about that a lot, especially, you know, when I was young, I remember the first time that I realized that I wasn't going to live forever. I was with my grandma at her house I still remember I was laying on the bed, getting, I was saying I was sleeping over, and I was laying with my feet up in the air, and grand, my grandma was a lot of things. She was a good athlete. Um, man, she was a really good athlete. I mean, in her late, late 60s, she could play like softball. She was really a good athlete. She lived into her not early 90s. I mean, she was, yeah, her mother was 102. So I'm hoping those genes run this way, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anyhow. Um, she, we're talking and, you know, she had a closet in this room and this closet always fascinated me because she stored all kinds, like she kept everything. There were games that were like 30 years old. I wanted them, you know, didn't, didn't even work half of them. But I'm laying there and I'm like, grandma, this is before salvation, Okay. I asked her why she was gray, wrinkled. Maybe this was an intentional strike on her part. I don't know. 
And I said, how come I look different? I'm younger and I'm shorter. And she said, well, one day you're going to die. God bless grandma. So I said, What's, what, did, what, what do you mean? One day your body's not going to work and you're going to die. And I said, when? And she said it could happen any time. Yeah. And then she said, good night. Uh-huh. That was my grandma. So I'm laying in the dark now. Uh, thinking about dying at any time. None of us knows when the bell's going to ring. And God's going to come and say, it's time. It could happen in a crowded room. It could happen in a car. It could happen on a plane. It could happen in your sleep. It could happen anywhere at any time. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days, everyone say all the days. Ordained. That means that God commanded those days. For me, were written in your book before one of them came to be. That is why the issue of suicide is a very contentious issue when people come to me and ask me about, you know, how does God feel about that? Because God has ordained days for you to live. He has a plan. And when you take it upon yourself to say, I don't care about your plan, I'm ending that plan, it, it gets to be very tricky from there. Please don't come to me after church and go, okay, pastor, if I killed myself today, just don't kill yourself, okay? And if you're watching online, please don't do that. It's not why I brought it up. I brought it up to say that God has planned your days and those days are sacred. They're sacred days. And I don't know how many you have, and you don't know how many I have. But we know this, God planned those days. And the truth is, in this world, when we look at each other's lives, there's no rhyme or reason why one person gets more than the other. You know, you might not smoke, might not drink, you might run ultra marathons, be in incredible shape, and you know, not make it to 40. And then you could be a complete alcoholic, a walking ashtray, uh, live at a fast food restaurant, you know, and like never have a shower and live to be 90. It's just weird how things, but God is doing what he's doing for reasons that we don't understand. And when we try to understand those, we can get really worn out. See, the job of what God has for us to do, though, can be overwhelming, right? I mean, think about that boy with the starfish. That's a pretty big deal. When we went away this past, uh, you know, September, we went away where there was a beach, and there were two boys grabbing up, you know, starfish and crab and whatever they could get their hands on. And of course, they were running down the beach as fast as they could, trying to grab whatever, and I actually, that's what made me think of this particular story because the beach goes on forever. I mean, it just goes on forever. And the waves were getting higher and higher and higher. You know what I mean? And you could see those waves come crashing in and just ripping everything out with it. And I'm thinking, I was just standing there a few minutes ago. Like I would have been up to my chest and pulled me right out. 
Um, maybe, probably, yeah. And so we see an example here of an overwhelming job. In Nehemiah chapter one, just part of it, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, I just want to talk about the overwhelming part of the job. The words of Nehemiah. In the month of Kislev, in the 12th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to me from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard, listen to this, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. See, the size and the depth and the emotion of what we, you, me, have been asked to do and be can be completely overwhelming when you look at it for what it is. And when we look at it in the natural, we can just sometimes just say, I give up, I quit. I mentioned to you there's a lot of open churches. I don't remember any time in my history of serving in ministry, so many ministers leaving the ministry as I'm seeing right now. And every district I've talked to literally has told me, pastor, we have nobody that's available for you. I'm like, wow. I said, what about coming out of your Bible colleges? I'm thinking there's kids in Bible college, right? You know, like they have to graduate. Most of the Bible colleges have now switched a lot of the education to vocational. So the kids that are in these colleges are getting like their degrees to go into the secular uh, field, which is fine, but they're not going into ministry. So they're not available for ministry. And I'm going, I'm scratching my head. Because when I was in school, like to graduate, there was 300 of us that were ready to go into ministry. Now that number gets whittled down over the years. But trust me when I tell you, I've been beating the bush and I'm seeing kind of this task, like Jeremiah is seeing this task. It's big, it's a big task. Or Nehemiah, not Jeremiah, sorry. And so he's overwhelmed with what's going on. So he weeps. I mean, he has a moment and he sits down and he just weeps. How many of you ever had a moment (laughs) where you just put your head down and you got to let it all out? Come on now, people, be real here. I have had many moments as a pastor where I've just had to let it out. Where I'm just like, this is too big for me. I, and I'm not talking just about here. I mean, just in general. You just sit there and, and you go, I, I don't want to do. I mean, let's just use right now, our current, where we are in the world today. Last time I checked, my degree is not a medical one. I am not a doctor. 
but I am having to deal and dabble with this whole pandemic and I'm having to deal with the medical side of how to keep people safe and how to do this and do that. And I'm not a doctor, but I've had to bury myself in all these regulations and rules and everything else that we got to comply with. And you got the CDC over here and you got DCFS over here. And guess what? None of them agree on anything. It's crazy. And sometimes you just want to do, you just, sometimes you just really want to go, you know what I mean? And then you got school for your kids and they're not agreeing either. And I'm not trying to go political. I'm just talking life issues. Just the reality of what we deal with every day. I remember when the masks started to become optional, I went to the mall one day by myself. I thought, you know, uh, I'll treat myself. I'm going to go to the mall. I got to get a couple things. And some stores said I had to wear one. Some stores said I didn't. I didn't really know what to do. I was confused. It was weird to me. I felt overwhelmed. So after he wept, he immediately did something. He picked up the starfish. Then I said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, verse five, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins of the Israelites, including myself and my father's family. This is key. Notice when I was praying this morning, I included the sins of the church. We can never be too arrogant to to separate ourselves when we pray these prayers. It is not just our leaders and our government. No, the church has sinned too. You know, where we can think of a few areas. One is we've done nothing. We've sat back. We got comfortable. Come on. It's, you know, I'm saying the truth. We got lazy. We started to admire what we had done and built. And the reality is the devil just sat back and said, just keep on doing that. You just get, you just keep doing that. And while we did that, he laid the groundwork for what he's doing now. And here we are. But we're still going to win. He says, let your, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open and you hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you night and day. There's a fervency in his heart. Let me skip down. He says, I confess the sins of we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands and decrees and the laws you have given, have gave your servant Moses. So, I mean, he right away recognizes the history of what Israel was told to do and they didn't do it. But his heart is still broken over what happened. And he knows that God is calling him to do something. And as the story moves on, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story, but the rest of the story summed up is he goes back and he gets permission to leave and rebuild the city. 
And you might say, that's a huge job. Yes, it is. And a lot of us might say, I can't do that. Sometimes you got to do it one day, one hour, one minute, one second at a time. Life is like that. Sometimes you have to really do things one day at a time, one hour at a time. But we're an impatient people. How many of you know that? I've learned that about myself. This pandemic has definitely taught me that. Man, oh man, going into the pandemic, I had my, my rocket boots on. I was ready to go. And then it was hurry up and wait. Do you remember back to the beginning? I mean, we had water coming in our roof and we couldn't fix it. What do you do? Nothing. Hurry up and wait. But you had to trust God had a plan. Had to trust that God was doing something. And I believe he is doing something in our nation. I believe he's doing something right now in our nation. Exodus chapter 3, Moses and the burning bush, example number 2. Now we know that Moses had a bit of a history leading up to this moment of the bush, right? He had kind of run away after, oh, I don't know, committing murder. So you might say he's not really qualified to do this because he's a murderer. Would you say that's fair? Just nobody, nobody, no? Okay, I'll resign, and then you guys hire a murderer. Say so that's the context. I'm, I mean, I'm trying to make you understand, like, those are not the best credentials on a resume. You know, like, you don't lead with, hi, I'm Moses, I'm going to lead you as a nation, and I'm a murderer. You know? You might say, well, it was a different time. No, it was still wrong. It was still a crime. He was supposed to be put to death. So he ran and he hid in the wilderness. He had a family now, and he was, he was older and you know, all that stuff. Here we go. First chapter three. Now Moses was tending the flock of his father. I love this name. The flock of Jethro. Pretty cool name, right? You get a name, like some of the names in the Bible are really weird, but this one's called Jethro, you know. His father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Some of you are going, he was dehydrated. That is an argument that atheists and agnostics make. Oh no, that didn't really happen. Moses was dehydrated. Um, listen, he lived in the backside. He lived in the desert. Don't you think he knew enough? That I don't think he was dehydrated. No, no, no. I think it was exactly what it was. People will do the weirdest things to try to discredit the Bible. It's almost harder to believe that than it is to believe this. He sees a fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, logical thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why this bush does not burn up. 
And when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over a good look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. I mean, I think that's probably the response we'd all say, right? I mean, this bush starts to talk to you. You know, okay, now I'm seeing a bush and it's talking to me. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That is a huge name. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I mean, yeah. I mean, he recognized the, 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 the immense size of God. And we know that no man has looked at God in his purest sense and lived. And so he immediately covered his face. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't going to be number one here on the list. In verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Some of you are wondering if I would have got that. I did. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God's concern. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. That's part one. God's orders. So I have come to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out to this land flowing with milk and honey. Now, it's not a land where there was a waterfall with milk, and you could reach out and grab honey like out of, out of the rocks. People, come on now. It's not where we're, that's not really what he was, you know what I mean. Okay. Thirdly, Moses, go. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people to the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, if you're Moses, you're hearing everything God's saying, and you're probably nodding your head going, that's pretty cool. Burning bush, talking to me. God's telling me what's going on. This is kind of cool. Right up to the part where God says, now you go. What? I mean, let's be honest. How many of you would go? I'm looking. I'm not seeing any hands. Now remember, this is for reals. If I see any hands go up, you're going. Exactly. Right? Nobody's volunteering for this. And God knew that, so God picked somebody. Now listen to where this goes. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Let the excuses begin. We are a people, and Moses is like us. He's a kind of a, an example, we'll say. We like to make excuses, don't we? 
Confess, come on. We'll give God a million reasons why we can't do something. I mean, listen, that little boy was grabbing them starfish because it was a big job to do. We might say, oh, climb off time. Oh, my legs are tired. Oh, it's late. Let's go off. Whatever. They're all going to die. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who sent you, and when you have brought the people out of Egypt, will worship God on this mountain. So God gives some encouragement to him in verse 12. I'm going to go with you. That's pretty cool. I mean, he's seen the burning bush. He's heard a voice coming out of the bush. I would be impressed with that if he said, hey, I'm going to go with you, but no. And I'll tell you why. Remember the scriptures tell us the flesh battles the spirit. And right now, his flesh is going, I'm not standing in front of Pharaoh and doing this. I have a death sentence waiting for me there. I'm not doing this. So this is what he says. Now he goes to verse 13. Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So in other words, like, what's your name? How do I tell them who you are? Huh. He's looking for a way out. Can you tell? That's the third thing he's hit him with. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Man, I love that. It's so good. I am who I am. It's kind of God's way of saying, yeah, I am who I am. You don't need to know any more than that. Period. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. The I am has sent me to you. Whoa. Verse 15. God also says to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. I mean, there's a lot of names there. I mean, but he told them. He gave them a list. He's given them everything he's asked for so far. But Moses is, he's now done. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So this is God's business card, so to speak. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, he just sends them and says, you tell the leaders I sent you, and this is how they'll know. So here we go. In chapter four, now God deals with Moses, and then we're at the back of the bus. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? I mean, he's just really trying to squirm here. And then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. How many of you would run from it? Yes, I probably would too. Yes, I absolutely would run. Mm -hmm. There are times that the job is big. Usually it's very big. And even after 
what just experiences or what you've just experienced, he still has questions. And he questioned God. Like, I mean, God has revealed himself as powerful already, and he still is questioning. And I'm starting to wonder, not just if he's afraid, but if he really just partially also doesn't want to do it. Because let's be honest, how many of you would say there have been times in your life where you just didn't want to do the God thing? Just be honest. You just didn't want to do it. There have been times God's put stuff on my heart, and I'm like, I just don't want to do that. I know you're going, oh, you're the pastor. I know. I float and stuff. I know. But there's been times I just haven't wanted to do it. I walked by somebody and felt like I needed to go back. Didn't want to do it. I'll be honest. The other day I saw a guy who was in a great deal of pain. Uh, I knew he had because I'd seen him a couple weeks earlier on crutches. And he's not from this church. He's in the community. And uh, and it works at a place. I know where he's at all the time. And we got talking and all of a sudden it comes up about a situation in all of their lives we had in common. Three of us did that our dads all died. And then, so we, I, was talk, I was talking to two of the guys about that. And I thought, wow. And the, and the place was completely empty. So I just took my time. And I felt like I was picking up starfish, you know? And the other guy, well, I didn't see him. Well, he comes out and he's not on a cane or a crutch, but his leg's really bad. And I, before I left, I really kind of felt like God wanted me to pray for him. And I did a Moses. I didn't do it. Was I afraid to do it? No. I wasn't afraid to do it. I've done that stuff before. I'll be honest. I'm going I'm to be really transparent here. Please don't dislike me after. Promise. I was in a mood. And I didn't want to do it. I just didn't feel like it. I know, it's terrible, isn't it? I just didn't feel it, I guess is the word I would use. I I was kind of grumpy, and I just didn't. I looked down, and I thought, the words were on the tip of my tongue, can I pray for you? And I wouldn't say them. Now, I'm kind of predetermined if I get another shot at that, I'm going to. But... I'm telling you, sometimes we just don't want to do it. We just get stubborn about it. At least I do. The Lord said, what is in your hand? I mean, he just, just what was in his hand? He throws it on the ground and it becomes this powerful example of what God can do. So then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And so Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. Wow. Then the Lord said, is so they may believe that the Lord, the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So this is a sign again. God's giving him all these things to remove all of his excuses, but there's probably again, like I said, an element of I just don't wanna. I don't wanna. And there are times that we want the benefits of being a believer. 
without the responsibilities of being a believer. We want the benefits without the responsibility. Oh, I want the peace. Oh, I want the love. I want the forgiveness. But we don't want to do the work. And friends, being a Christian, hmm, after about a year and a half of being a Christian, a guy said to me, ow, you're a Christian. You got a crutch. I said, yeah, dude, here you go. Take my Bible. Walk down the hallway at school. See what happens to you. I'm serious. People weren't very nice. I was in a public school. I used to carry my Bible with me to class. I wasn't very popular. I lost all my friends. Some of you are going, oh, poor kid. No, it was great. It really showed me a lot. It showed me that people are really, really superficial. It showed me that these people who swore they were my friends, my best friend forever, they weren't my best friend forever. They only liked me because we were rolling around in the same mud. And the minute I got saved and was happy, they didn't like me anymore. I was happy. For the first time in my life, I was happy. And they struggled with that. That's weird. Hmm. Now then, God gets a little more creative. Now imagine this one. You're Moses. Okay, something happened there. My entire page just disappeared. Wow. There we go. Sorry. If you're watching online, technicalities, they happen. Here we go. I got it. I found it. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And so Moses put his hand into his cloak. And when he took it out, his skin was leprous and it became white as snow. I mean, I'll try that one. You stick your hand in your coat, perfectly good hand in your coat. And then you pull it out. It's white like leprous snow. No, I don't think I'd want to do that. No, 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 no. Verse 7, now put it back into your cloak, he said. Moses put it back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. God just showed him what he could do again. There it is. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on dry ground, and the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. That's a powerful sign. And if you remember, that's, pretty, that's exactly how it played out. Now Moses said to the Lord, here we go. Here's the root. You see, God will dig at us to the root of the actual real issue. He'll dig at your heart until he gets to where it's really at. And here it is. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Mm-mm. He is now messing with a bigger problem. Up till now, they were just kind of questions. He was looking for some support. But now the real issue's coming up. I don't want to. I don't want to do it. 
There's too many starfish. It's too big for me. Remember, he's one person just like you. We look at Bible characters sometimes and I think we overinflate them in our head. Moses didn't wear a cape, everybody. He can't fly. Can't stop bullets. You know, spears didn't bounce off his chest. He was just chosen by God. Period. Please, please do me a favor. Don't check out on me mentally. This is usually the point in any sermon where people go, (sighs) because they're now thinking about lunch. I promise you, the Steelers game is still going to happen. Can't tell you who's going to win, though. I have no idea. Listen. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Wow. I mean, God is literally now saying, I'm going to fix your mouth. I'm going to fix your flapper. I'm going to fix it. And I'm still going to go with you. Now go. I mean, this, this whole dialogue all along, you could sense Moses dragging his feet. And I'm going to be honest, we do the same thing. And we do it really from the pulpit to the pew. We all do it. Don't ever be, don't ever be fooled by the illusion that the stage somehow makes that person more spiritual than you. Yes, the Bible says I will be judged more harshly than you because I'm a teacher. And that's why I say things the way I say them and I don't pull my punches and I'm blunt with what I say because I know I got to stand before God. And there are days that I get up here and honestly, I feel like I'm doing chin-ups on a curb because I'm dealing with stuff in my own life, just like you. I'm a person, you know. They don't just wheel me out of the closet on Sundays and push a button and go preach. Time to preach. You know, it doesn't do that. It's not what happens. They don't go dial, dial a sermon. Like, I got to, you know, I got to live this stuff. So do you. And I'm going to say something. And this is going to sting. But being a Christian is inconvenient. Being a Christian is inconvenient. It's not going to fit your schedule. It's not going to fit your plan. And I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't really, God doesn't care. Oh my gosh. It wasn't on, God, that's not on my calendar. It's not on my Google calendar. God doesn't care. He doesn't care. For my credential interview, I'm sitting with 10 other people. The superintendent's supposed to come. He was an hour and a half late. That is not a good example, right? Until he gets there and he goes, I'm sorry. And then he stops and goes, no, actually, I'm not. And I'm like, excited for an hour and a half. I'm in like hypoglycemic shock. I need to eat lunch. 
You know where he was? He says, I'm not sorry. He said, I have a neighbor that the Holy Spirit had been telling me to talk to, and I didn't do it. Didn't want to. And he said, and today he was there, and the Holy Spirit told me I needed to talk to him today. And I'm telling the Holy Spirit, I got to go. I got these people waiting for their credential interview. And he said, today, talk to them, man, now. He led that man to the Lord. I was inconvenienced by an hour and a half, and a man's eternal destiny was changed. That man had cancer and died. So you know what? I'm glad that he listened that day. But Moses said, verse 13, pardon your servant, Lord. Now he gets to the point because God's drilled down far enough. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. He shall speak to him You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I will help both of you speak and teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform signs with it. In other words, get up, tush, tush, and go do what you're told. He got spanked. He got a spiritual spanking. He said, go. You can take Aaron with you, but you're going. This is what you're called to do. See, one thing about scripture that you got to understand is in Psalm 139, when it says all the days of your life were written in a book before one of them ever came to be, God doesn't say anywhere in there that there's an eraser. He doesn't change the plan. He doesn't change it. And you can't go to God and go, God, chapter six looks pretty rough. Can we change that? I don't want to do it. Because this is what he's going to say. No. 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 I'm going to ask Pastor Nate to come back to the platform. From whence he come. And we know Moses would lead the people out of Egypt and they would wander for 40 years before finding the promised land. You see, in conclusion, many people have quit. They've quit the job because it was too big. The call was too challenging. These two stories have contrasting people. I mean, Moses, very different, right, than Nehemiah. Different people, very different people, different personalities and skill sets for sure. However, they both got to a point where it was one star, one day, one hour, one moment at a time until they were completely done doing what they needed to do. We all have things that we have been called to do. And to be honest, you never know when, have a moment where you are on the shoulder to step up. Are you going to make excuses like Moses did? 
in the beginning, but end up doing it anyway? Are you going to cry like Nehemiah did in the beginning, then get to work? Or all of the above? As long as you take these things in one significant moment at a time, you can make it. There's nothing wrong with having a moment and crying as long as after you get up. Because, see, Nehemiah, he cried, but then he fasted, then he prayed, and then he went and did what God told him to do. Moses eventually did what God told him to do. And we're still talking about what he did today. Friends, I don't know what God's going to have you do. But I believe that in this room, in this church, there are people that God wants to use you to do significant things. And I don't know what that thing is. Only you do, because he's talked to you, or he's directing you, or he's preparing you. You know, when I was about the age of you guys in here, after church, we used to go hang out at a restaurant that they don't have here in the United States. And we were all like, really, we had no money, you know. I Like you guys with no money, right? I'm trying to help you out here, okay? So you can hit your parents up for more money after church. Um, and we would go to a restaurant and we would all put our money together and get a big plate of french fries and we would share it and we would all sit and talk about what God wanted us to do. We had a really cool youth group. Not, not really any bigger than the one we have here, around 20 kids or so. And we would pray a lot. One girl was from Sweden. She felt called to be a missionary. I, I believe she did go on the mission field. One of my friends felt called to be an evangelist. He went to India. Um, another one felt called to be an evangelist. He's been all over the place and has a church in Toronto, Canada. And I used to feel called to be an evangelist. I traveled fairly extensively for a long time as a young person. And, but I got to tell you one thing. When we were at that age, there was really no fear, you know? We were just like ready to go, you know? But as we got older, <laughs> it gets harder. And I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that if you're willing to dare to dream, if you're willing to dare to dream, God will go with you. He said that to Moses over and over and over. I'll go with you. God's not going to send you by yourself. He'll go with you. I know our world's upside down right now. Now more than ever, we need dreamers. Oh, we need people who have hearts full of dreams. now more than ever. So let's just take a minute, just close your eyes, forget about who's around you. I want to ask a question as I close in prayer. If you're here and you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I just feel God has been stirring my heart lately, not just this morning. I don't know what it is, or maybe you do, but you feel like God does have something that he's placing in your heart that it's bigger than you, 
It's like the starfish, you know, you, got, you just have to do it one day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time, one second at a time. And you just want to lift that up to God and say, God, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm scared. There are times I don't want to do it, but I'm going to, in obedience to you, I'm, I'm going to surrender to that. Just lift a hand so I can just pray for you this morning. And so that's me. I see your hand all around this room. I knew the Spirit of God was speaking this morning. I want to tell you something else. Keep that dream close to your heart. Don't share it with people that are going to put water on that fire. Only share it with people that are going to stoke that fire. People who are dreamers like yourself. I've had many people over the years try to put the fire out in my life. You can't believe how many people, when I was young, and I told them I felt called to preach, said, no, you're not. You know, you're not. You should stay in sports. You're a hockey player. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there. I literally had to stay off the ice for a year because it became an idol in my life. Father, we thank you this morning for every person that you're speaking to, that you're stirring from youth all the way up, that you have a plan for their life and that you are doing something different in them. And Lord, I, I don't know if it's something they've already started or something they're going to be doing, but Father, I pray that you would walk with them in the journey and that, Lord, they would know you're with them in the journey. And then, Father, when those times come where they just don't want to, that, Lord, you would help them. That, Lord, you would help them, Father, hour by hour. Lord, minute by minute. Second by second. Until, Father, they see that thing come to pass. Exactly as you want it to be. I believe this place to be a launching pad for people that you have implanted vision in their lives, things that you have asked them to do. And Lord, that really is not about age, it's about availability. So Lord, touch each and every one. Lord, bless everyone today as I leave this place. Keep everyone safe. Watch over everyone. Until we're together again next week, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, God bless you as you go. Have a fantastic week.